And in the science of mind, we have many names for it, the divine. We might say Father, Mother, God within. We might just call it God. But that presence that resides within each one of us goes by many names that are used in many traditions. Om Brahma Vishnu Shiva Shakti Kali Mahadeva Eloheinu Alleluia Adonai Yehovah Abba Ama Wakantaka Kiri E Rama Om Buddha Alla Ilaha Om Mane Padme Om. And the beauty of that presence coming in, we simply welcome the Creator today into this space and acknowledge a presence which we are never separate from, because as the children of the divine, it is our own unification with that that makes co-creation possible. And so knowing the presence of spirit in this place and that I am a divine child of God and as my truth I am never without it as my constant companion. And I know that this is my truth and the truth of all who choose to believe that in their own lives as well. And so I simply realize that this presence that we know as the love, the wisdom, the grace, the strength, the beauty, the harmony, the joy, the ease, the wholeness of the one life, is always with us. And we should be in great gratitude knowing that our source, whatever we choose to call it, in any aspect is ours the moment we go inside and get quiet. And so I simply take this truth and speak it into the automatic action of the law, knowing that that presence is here today to guide us in our service. I call our time together good, and we say it together, and so it is. And so that song was Reverend David Bruner and uh, Ms. Drucker wrote the lyrics to the song that we sang for the children. And from his introduction to the Basics of Spiritual Mind Treatment, which is a uh, compilation of Ernest Holmes, we have this saying by Reverend uh, Bruner. God, the universal life force and energy running through everything, is an intelligent presence pervading all space, a beginningless and endless eternity of eternities, a perfect unit and a complete wholeness. Eric Butterworth wrote, God is not what you not in you in the same sense that a raisin is in a bun. That is not unity. God is in you as the ocean is in a wave. And mystics throughout the ages have perceived a similar thread, a very similar thread. Perhaps they've phrased it in their own understanding for their culture and their time. The Quran says that God never sends a message except in the language of the people to whom it is addressed. Revelation conforms to the needs of its recipients. My Bible teacher in ministerial school kept saying, reminding us, Jesus was speaking to first century Jews. He's speaking to the consciousness that's around him at that time. So he doesn't talk about the holographic universe and the quantum physics of the universe because nobody would have understood what he's saying. 
So he talks about uh, um, agricultural metaphors, wine, and, and he talks about fathers and, and sons and, and all that. So he talks in a, in, in a language that they can understand, but that at the core, it's always the same truth. And if we can get that next PowerPoint, please. Where is Denny? There. A mystic is one who has a deep inner sense of life, that's capital L life, and the absolute unity of God and man. God and humans. A mystic without conscious mental process, in other words, not trying to think it through or analyze it, without conscious mental process, arrives at spiritual realization. That's what we're about. It's to turn off the intellect for a while and to let that deep knowingness fill us. And so it may be expressed when, when a mystic, when we have a mystical sense, vision, knowingness, it can be expressed in spiritual channels, as we've seen from many mystical teachers. It also shows up, however, in philosophy, in art, in science. In fact, in every human endeavor, it shows up. Anyone who has that deep sense of their oneness with life expresses it in some way or another. Mozart talks about taking dictation as he was writing his music. Many other people have had that. that. When you listen to Einstein and some of his, the things that he said, it's like this vision coming through him rather than just he deducted it all. And so whenever we're working with an awareness of our oneness with life, and that can be conscious or unconscious. There are people who have created without knowing it, but they have that sense. They, haven't, they don't necessarily call it out and say, hi, I'm a mystic and I'm now going to create this from that. But there's an unconscious knowingness. I want to borrow from Harry Potter. I'm going to give a little nod to John Mohall because he also used the same uh, metaphor in, this, in the February newsletter. Most of us were raised by muggles. And if you don't know what a muggle is, it's a non-magical person. Most of us were raised by muggles. Uh, Stan Shunpike says, who don't see nothing. In other words, operating at a very limited level of awareness. Yes? Take a breath. And if they or we know about wizardry, mysticism, we were taught to avoid it. If you remember Harry Potter's uh, Aunt Petunia talks about her sister, and she goes, she was a freak. Mystics, by the way, are freaks. And we're told to get a job, get married, settle down, have a couple of kids, have a house with a white picket fence, a pickup truck, and 2.6 kids, right? And a dog. And a dog. <laughs> Until, as we keep hiding out from it, eventually a giant shows up wherever we're hiding out and knocks down our door. Yes? And announces, Harry, you're a wizard. Nudge your neighbor, whatever their name is, don't call him Harry, unless their name actually is Harry. Nudge him and say, you're a wizard. And by the way, most of us, initially at least, respond as Harry did, which is, but, but I'm just Harry. 
The truth of the matter is we were all born mystics. We were all born with that connection to, that oneness, that awareness of the inner life. We were all born wizards. Take a breath. By the way, most of you are here in this kind of a spiritual community because at some point in time, you stopped listening to the muggles and realized they weren't telling you all the story. Right? Yeah. We were all born mystics, and we all have the opportunity for mystical vision, a direct experience with that greater, whatever name I loved, all the names that Alex ran through. There's more. Arthur C. Clarke wrote a book called The Nine Billion Names of God, and it was at a time that in his story there were nine billion people on earth. So if you want to know what, what another name for God is, it's your name. Yes? Because you're God in form. You are the wave with the ocean expressing through it. To knock down our doors of limited perception, our muggle-mindedness, which we all have and we all get caught in, and open to the greater greatness of life and our unity with it. This is, this is our call. This is, this is what is wanting to come through us and express through us. And this is the, that ocean that wants to express through us as a wave instead of as just a little trickle. Are you willing to be a wave? Let me try that again. Are you willing to be a wave instead of a trickle? Getting in touch with our inner mystic is a willingness to live in paradox. And paradox is not a pair of docks down at the marina. Uh. Yeah, I'm doing stand-up somewhere that nobody will be attending probably. It's a willingness to live in paradox. The mystics teach us that we must consciously court the divine presence. Ernest Holmes says we must unify in our own mentalities with pure spirit. We must unify within our own minds. We must take that time, as the song said, to sit down, to become still. While at the same time, we have to realize there's no way we can make that happen. There's no way we can make a spiritual vision, a numinous experience, whatever you want to call it, happen. Like Hagrid, it comes when it's ready. Right? It does. See, Harry, unbeknownst to him, was operating on a timetable. The timetable said that at 11 years old, he would be invited to Hogwarts. Did he know that? No. See, we don't know the timetable that our deep inner self is operating on to help us to wake up and remember that we're wizards, that we are mystics, that we are God-informed. Each of us has to go through the muggle process to live in the muggle world, yes? Okay. So we can't make it happen, but we also must be ready. We must make it welcome by being prepared. Because when that light comes, when that vision comes, if we're not prepared in some way, it blows us out. It's, it's like an overload of our circuits. And we've met people like that. Be prepared. We get prepared by paying attention. There was a, one of my favorite Zen masters, Zen poets, uh, by the name of Ikkyu, A-I-K-K-Y-U. 
experienced his awakening while he was meditating on a boat in a lake, a quiet lake, and all of a sudden heard the call of a crow. And all of a sudden, he had his shift. Now, prior to that, he had 21 years in a Zen monastery studying. 21 years of preparation. He'd had a couple of little openings before that, but that was the one that really popped him. The Buddha said that enlightenment had gained him nothing, which is why it's called enlightenment. It has no earthly practical value. It doesn't mean anything in the muggle world, right? When Jesus says to to give to God what is God's and to Caesar what is Caesar's, he's talking about these two worlds and to learn how to operate in both. See, wizards in the Harry Potter thing, had difficulty understanding and operating in the muggle world, right? I remember when when, uh, Arthur Weasley first meets Harry at the breakfast table, the first thing he looks at him and asks him, the first question, this is is Harry Potter, the wizard who survived um, Voldemort trying to kill him. The first thing he asks him is, what exactly is the purpose of a rubber duck? Because he's trying to understand muggle consciousness and he has no clue what this is. And he knows that Mary has been living in the muggle world. The true mystic who lives out in that world has no consciousness of how to live in the muggle world. What we're looking for is a balance between an ability to live in this world and in this world simultaneously. When a student approached Zen master Ikkyu to accept, asking him to accept him as a student, Ikkyu responded, I want to serve you delicacies. Alas, the Zen sect has nothing to offer. The visitor replied, the mind which treats me to nothing is the eternal mind, the original mind, the delicacy of delicacies. See, we look for something. We look for the something, right? I recently had somebody who was talking about doing meditation, and he said, I'm trying to get the most bang for the buck. I want to, you know, pull stuff out of it and and have it, you know, improve my health and and, and my, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, that's not the purpose of meditation. Let that go. That might be a side effect. But we don't meditate to get something or to get somewhere. When Nikki says... The Zen set can offer nothing. It can offer no thing. You're not going to get rich and famous by being a Zen monk. And the visitor has the, is astute enough to reply, and he got accepted as a student, by the way. The mind which treats me to no thing, nothing, is the original mind. Our purpose is to get in touch with that original mind. All of us recognize that we're separate individuals, but most of us have been trained to mean that that means separated individuals. See, we're each unique expressions of the divine, but we're also simultaneously one with each other and with life itself. Look at the person next to you or nearby you and recognize that you're one with them. You don't have to say anything, just be aware of it. As our inner mystic, and we all have an inner mystic. We all have an inner mystic. And as it awakens, we realize our oneness with each other and with life itself. 
And this life itself is an ongoing life. It's an eternal, immortal life. We are immortal beings. We may not keep the same body all the time, but we, the essence that is not this body, are immortal. And this life is filled with love, capital L, love, and light. We've got another PowerPoint that says, in moments of deepest realization, the great mystics have sensed that one life flows through all and that all are some part of that life. You and I are one with that life. We are never separated. Now, we have felt separated, yet. Anybody here besides me ever felt separated from that one life? Ever felt separated from another person or from humanity as a whole? Right. But that's the illusion. That's the game. That's the trick. That's the muggle consciousness that doesn't see past that. And when we see past that, we have a whole different experience of life with life. So if this has no inherent worldly value, if I can't sell it, if I can't bargain it, if I can't take it out and impress chicks with it and get a nice date, what good is it? Why would I want to be a mystic? And the answer is because once we have awakened, we no longer walk alone and separate and powerless and unloved in the world. Because once we know that, and we may have clouds that cloud that over for a little while here and there, but we know that. Yes? Once we know that, we perceive and can direct the flow of life within our own lives. We walk through the world in a different way, in a different consciousness. And then everything changes. In Zen, there's a story of the Zen bulls, which starts with a young man who's in the market drinking with the butchers and wondering if there isn't something more to life. He's discontented. He's unhappy. He wants something more. And so he goes through this process, this path, and it's called the bull simply because a bull shows up as a representation of his unconsciousness, his subconscious. And eventually the bull disappears, the young man disappears, and then it shows him again, they've gone up a hill, and it shows him again walking back down the hill, coming back to the market and drinking with the butchers, but this time with a deep smile on his face. We come back into that life with a deep awareness and a deep appreciation of the life and of who we are. There's the famous saying of, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, hire somebody else to chop your wood. No, <laughs> chop wood, carry water. We, can, we continue with our life the same, but we are not the same in our life. And so we are having a different experience. And that is the purpose of listening for that of catching that. And each of you has touched it at some point in time. I know that, like I said, because you're sitting here. Let's take a moment to experience that. Take a breath, take a nice deep breath. Recognize that you're a wave. and look deeper within to feel the ocean. 
And then let that ocean rise you. Rise as you. You don't have to make yourself rise. You let yourself be raised. And take another deep breath. And very gently allow yourself to come back to consciousness of your body in this room. And when you're ready, open your eyes. This week, I'm going to invite you to take on one and only one spiritual practice. And that is to court the infinite. Court the infinite. How many of you know what I mean by court the infinite? The same as you would court a lover. Spend time. Open. Be attentive. Be aware. Spend time just being available to that presence. In the Bhagavad Gita, when Krishna is talking to Arjuna, Krishna has revealed himself to be the infinite presence, the God, God itself. Krishna tells Arjuna, still your mind in me, still your intellect in me, and without doubt, you will be united with me. Still your mind, still your intellect, all that lovely little mind shatter. The poetic you describes it this way. No words. Sitting alone at night in my hut, eyes closed, hands open, wisps of an unknown face. Sitting alone in the quiet, mind stilled, eyes closed, hands open, allowing ourselves to perceive the wisps of that unknown face. When Ernest talks about love and law, we spend a lot of time on the law, the how it works. But that infinite presence, that infinite love, lights the law. It is the light that moves the law. We talked last week about spirit commands the law, and when we recognize that we are spirit, we command the law with most power and most effectiveness. We do so by being and being in touch with that light that is within us and allowing it to move through us to command the law. I want to close with a quote also from Ernest Holmes. The highest practice is to listen to this inner voice and to declare its presence. And I want to say that. It's, it's not just to listen to it and then keep it all deep with inside you, but to let it out. That's the declaring his presence. It doesn't mean you have to run down the street declaring his presence to everybody. You let your life, you let your actions, you let your beingness declare for you, as you. The highest practice is to listen to this inner voice and to declare its presence. The greater one's consciousness of this indwelling I am, the more fully alive he or she will be. This will never lead to illusion 
but always to capital R reality. All great souls have known this and have constantly striven to let the mind of God express through their mentalities. The Father that dwells in me, he does the work. This declaration should be ours, not a limited sense of life, but a limitless one, a limitless sense of life. So let us move to our affirmation, our closing affirmation for today. Take this in and take this in as yours. Say it with me. I open my eyes, my ears, my heart, and my mind to the infinite presence and discover within myself the great mystery, life itself. And so it is. Bless you.